2: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game, with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. I'm speaking a little bit quicker than usual in case more news breaks while we're on air, because Kieran Chum. We've been told this before In our lives But boy We timed that wrong Didn't we
1: We got it We got it really screwed up Didn't we we
2: Just Literally Just as we finished recording On Sunday You you said you had a tweet Coming through About an impending European Super League Announcement So we then spent Three days Preparing a special podcast Trying to phone Gary Neville and, and blow me the bloody thing's almost over everyone's walking away whistling with their hands in their pockets pretending nothing happened 48 48 questions I had for you Kieran 48 oh, and now, Jesus I know seriously and now I've got one and it's basically what the what just happened it's, 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 thank God Southampton have signed a new kit deal we'd have nothing to talk about <laughs> <laughs> exactly and Later, we'll be hearing from Matt Slater, top football news reporter at the Athletic, to get his thoughts on the Super League and some other stuff too. Um, I'll just pause here to cross out and some other stuff too. He was very optimistic <laughs> of <the juicy> <laughs> and producing by today. The first seriously, I am not asking Matt Slater about Southampton's new kit deal. So, um, Kieran, we've lived through a bit of football, uh, a bit of football history. Quite, quite possibly, the most significant moment for our game in a long time. The moment when a whole country discovered who the game really belongs to, a moment when some very greedy people realise that the desperate pursuit of even more money isn't what football is about, when they realise that you can appeal to as many overseas fans as you like, but there's only so far you can take the piss out of the fans on your own doorstep, and a moment when those fans, Kieran, I think, realise that actually not all Premier League players are greedy money-grabbing bastards, and that together we can actually make a difference. So let's talk about what happened. Um, obviously, some of these subjects may overlap with what we talked to to Matt about. But let's see if we can unpick what happened. And I should point out, listeners, that we are recording this at 11:30 p.m. on Wednesday night, uh, and I still can't guarantee that we'll be up to date with all. This. The, the first question, Kieran, you you've been predicting this ever since we started the pod back in October 2019. Why why was it suddenly announced? On Monday, was it to preempt the Champions League announcement? Was it because the grounds are still empty? Or was it just to make more money as quickly as possible and use COVID as the excuse?
1: I think we've got different parties with different motives. So I think we've got to start, first of all, with the American owners of English clubs. In in particular there, we're looking at Liverpool, Manchester United and Arsenal. Um, They come from a different culture. They come from uh, a sporting viewpoint that clubs are franchisees and they're familiar with the the sealed units. And, and that works for everybody. You know, The fans accept it. You, know, you, don't, you don't see fans moaning in the NFL or the MLB because they know that their their team is going to be in that division next year and, and there is no effective second tier. Um. The the players accept it because they tend to be very well paid. Um, you know, the, the the broadcasters love it because it, it delivers. Uh, if you, if you take a look at United States uh, viewing figures, I think it was eighteen of the top twenty uh, viewing attendances or viewing figures in in uh, in, in the US in twenty twenty or twenty nineteen were to do with live sport. So. They're happy. And then we've got the franchise owners. And because they share revenues equally and they have wage caps, it's actually very profitable, very lucrative. And if you want to buy, even if you want to go and buy the worst team in the NFL, it will cost you two and a half billion dollars. Now, if we contrast that with the Premier League, you would you would struggle to get $2 billion for more than three or four clubs. So, you know, from from, from their perspective, how can, we, how can we get rid of the problem? And, and the problem, as far as the owners are concerned, is they've got this thing called relegation. And they've also got the issue of if they want to play in European football at the Champions League – they need to win football matches. They need to finish in the top four. And this really came to fruition in 2016 when Leicester City, through being the best football team in the country, won the Premier League and therefore took away one of the Champions League places, which these clubs consider to be theirs by right. So since then, they have been working on an alternative to... Qualifying for the Champions League, and what we've seen is the manifestation of that. Because their aims is to maximise profits. Now that has that—that's not all of the six clubs that we're talking about. Chelsea, Chelsea, and Man, Chelsea, and Manchester City are completely different. Uh, Chelsea is Roman Abramovich's toy. He acquired the club in you know, was it two thousand and three, and he loves the fans and the fans love him. Yeah, you know, they they they've got a, you know he's got a genuine affection for the club. He wants it to succeed. Um and he saw his legacy last night being destroyed through not it wasn't his idea. You know they City City and Chelsea they could have taken all you know take or leave the, this this uh, this franchise league. Um but what Abramovich didn't want to do is to is to waste twenty years of a loving with Chelsea fans. Mm. So he, he he effectively saw the fans protesting, made the decision, he was wavering beforehand and, and that sealed the deal. City, exactly the same. You know, why 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 irritate your own fan base? when when you've got so much money that you can underwrite all the losses as the Manchester City owners have done over the course of the last decade. So as soon as Chelsea did it, City had been wavering as well. They pulled out, and then, then the whole thing went down like a pack of cards. So that's what we've got here in England. And then you move to the continent. You've got AC Milan, who are owned by what is referred to a vulture fund. A vulture fund takes on distressed companies and just tries to get as many bucks out of them as possible. So AC Milan did it because they've got owners, and and Vulture Funds have... These guys, I think they took on the the government of Argentina a few years Mm. ago, Mm. and they beat the government of Argentina. We're talking about people who have no moral or ethical compass. They have no sense of romance. They are not football fans. And in other businesses... You say, yeah, we see that exists. We don't actually care. But football is our game. It is, you know, it is, it is the, rom- the, yeah, the romantic uh, in us all. So that's that's the position that we saw in uh, in in Italy to a certain extent. We've got Agnelli at Juventus, who was head of the European Club Association. So therefore, in theory, he is responsible towards the 250 clubs in the ECA. Mm. At the same time, he was negotiating on behalf of these other 12 clubs because Juventus, what's happened to them in the last three years? They've been knocked out of the Champions League by Lyon, Porto and Ajax. He's also said that Atalanta should not qualify for the Champions League because they don't have history and heritage. And history and heritage is really important to somebody who is an inherited billionaire because <laughs> yeah um, so so that's italy we then move to spain and um when it look when you take a look at the the balance sheets of both real madrid and barcelona they are looking very distressed they, they owe an awful lot of debt they generate huge sums of money through match day through people doing the the tours of the stadium through the museum through hospitality they don't have the benefits of yeah. the tv deals on a proportionate basis necessary to the same extent as we have in in the uh uh in the uk and because they are member owned clubs they can't go to the owners and say uh, yeah we need 100 million quid yeah could you sub us so so th- we've got different parties with different motivations and in the background um, yeah they've they've been using the Super League as a bargaining chip against UEFA um for the last twenty to thirty years, and it's worked every time. I think this time for a for a combination of reasons, they didn't manage to extract the concessions that they were looking from UEFA in terms of certainty of qualifying for the tournament, but the big issue was the ability to sell TV rights. If you actually take a look at the small print of this proposed deal, um, it's two groups of 10, so therefore you've got nine home fixtures each, and you're able to sell three of the sets
2: of rights yourself. Mm.
1: Plug in the numbers. Sorry.
2: Sorry, Ken. I mean, did... I mean, we we talked specifically about the, the the clubs, Man City and Chelsea in particular. With Matt Slater, and I, I still find it hard to believe that Man City and Chelsea are spinning this. We were well, we had to join because uh, we'd be left behind. The same with Arsenal and Tottenham. But we, Matt, was very eloquent on that. Um, and I think, to be fair to some American club owners, Burnley read the room much better than than Man United, for example, because the Burnley's owners came out very strongly against this and said, you have to understand the culture you're in. The, the TV deal is not something most people did. Was the TV deal already in place, or did they just expect a major bidding war when this happened? They had put out tentative
1: feelers, but nothing had been signed. But uh, I think they they were confident because... They know from experience that if you are a subscription broadcaster, the one thing that stops people from cutting the cord is sports rights to big competitions. Mm. And they felt that by having this, um, as it's an American franchise league, this roster of clubs who are going to be in it every year, they would be able to go to both European broadcasters, American broadcasters, Asian broadcasters, and to a certain extent, Name their price. So they felt very confident. In terms of their own rights, and I think this was really important to the Glazers and Ed Woodward Manchester United have a billion fans, according to their PR agency. Yeah, now, yeah. I, I, t- I take that with a pinch of salt. You know, it's because sometimes if if you if you set you sent, you know, I, I get surveys, you get surveys coming through the internet, and and you say, well, you know, which which NFL team do you support? And you're given a list of twelve, list of twelve, and I go, oh well, it's the uh, yeah. you know the San Francisco Hippos or
2: whatever it is. It's, um, the, Philadelphia, it's the Philadelphia Eagles. Here, yeah. I mean, you should surely guess which <laughs> which NFL team we support. <clears throat> so, so they've got in
1: theory a billion fans. Mm. Now, if they've got. Now, Manchester United make £250 million a year from TV rights from the Premier League and UEFA. Let's now do the maths. If you get 5% of your fans to pay £5 each, it's 50 million people at a fiver each from one game of football. You've got £250 million. And the Glazers and Ed Woodward are convinced that they can do it. So for them, it's a no-brainer. And from a, from a balance sheet from a, from a finance point of view, this could make an awful lot of sense, but it completely detaches from the culture of football that you first encountered when you first started playing you know kids' football at the age of nine or ten. That if if you won a few matches, you won a cup final, or you got promoted to the next division. And even when we were playing Sunday League football, you know, again we, you know, if if you if you weren't too rat assed after the previous Saturday night, and you had a good team and a good squad, you go up a couple of divisions. And and th- and that that applies to all level of football. And I've just seen a, a tweet by Kevin De Bruyne, and he says, "Yes, I am in a privileged position. I I, I am a professional athlete. Yes, it is a business." But I've grown up with football as a form of competition, and this is not competition.
2: Mm. I should point out, Kieran, to quite a few of our listeners who listen to the pod driving to work that they may have to drive around the block a couple of times before they get into the office because um, this is shaping out to be a long pod, Kieran. (laughs) Because <laughs> we've still got quite a lot to cover. One thing that's bothering me—well, so, no, there, there, there's 48 things that are bothering me, Kieran. How is this going to play out legally with JP Morgan? Um, so I, I can't remember whether I'm saying JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley. What am I saying, Kieran? No, JP Morgan. They, JP they are Morgan. They're different. JP Morgan Chase yeah. is the official name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. At one stage in a different pod, I said Morgan's Rum, which was definitely wrong, wasn't it? <laughs> um, I, surely they, they, there's some form already of contractual arrangement with J.P. Morgan. We've heard some of the eye-watering sums that they're supposed to be putting up for this. And now the clubs have clearly broken that contract. Will J.P. Morgan not be looking for financial compensation or is that not how it works?
1: Um, Well, without seeing the contract, we we can't say with certainty. But J.P. Morgan's um, employees will have been working on this project. Um, As far as they were concerned, the project was announced on Sunday night and therefore they've put a lot of hours in they're entitled to form some form of recompense they were due to be lending these clubs was it 3.5 billion yeah. looking at how much they they were due to be repaid 260 million a year um yeah they've lost out so um you know depending upon the nature of the contracts they will be talking to their silver tongue friends mm. And uh, I suspect some form of uh, recompense will be required because, as far as they're concerned, they've done the work. They put the, they put together the package of funding, and now beyond the you know, beyond the eleventh hour, um, people have walked away. Uh, and remember, if, if we take a look at the the comments which have come from the football clubs, is that we have withdrawn yes. from the european super or or the super league project yes. because um it does appear that it was going to be some form of global franchise yeah. arrangement
2: yeah because it it was quite plain from the when sky were breaking the news last night about man city and chelsea that they were talking about you know putting into place the paperwork to uh, negotiate a withdrawal so clearly that was already part of a contractual Thing anyway, because they said they to, they, they, it wasn't just a verbal thing. We're pulling out; they had to put paperwork into place. Now, Kieran, oddly enough, we spoke for the first time last week about special purpose acquisition companies, didn't we? In America, we did. And, yes, and one uh, economist on Newsnight this week suggested this may have been a giant J.P. Morgan SPAC. Could could that be true? Um, I, I don't think so, because the nature of an SPAC is that
1: you do not know the company which you're actually going to buy and which you're oh, then going okay. to list. Right. So I'm, I'm not convinced about it because clearly we, we do have the identity and there's no evidence. Manchester United and Juventus are already traded on the stock exchanges and those are two of the most valuable brands in, in the 12. I could, couldn't could really see why Roman Abramovich would want Chelsea Chelsea shares being quoted or even linked to a stock exchange because it's his little fiefdom. It's exactly the same with Mansour uh, in respect of Manchester City. They like the independence. They they like the fact that they can make decisions quickly. You know, a, a quick couple of phone calls and and things things automatically go through. That's the advantage of having one person in charge. You know, I've, I've said on on many occasions that. The benevolent dictator, for me, is yeah. the perfect model um, yeah. in terms of football ownership because you've got, A, somebody that's got funding, and B, they're answerable to nobody provided they, they've got the long-term interest or the short-term
2: interest of the club at, at heart, then things can really whiz through. Well, uh, Mention of the stock market it brings me to my next question, Funny enough, because how did they manage to keep this... So quiet, Kieran, because as Graeme Souness said several times, because he, once he's got an idea in his head, he likes to rattle it around until we've all heard it. But uh, to me, this made perfect sense. He said if the, the clubs listed on the stock market, Man United in particular, would surely have to have made shareholders aware of this before the decision was made, wouldn't they? No, no. You you announce things to the stock
1: market usually if they have a significant impact on the club. So normally, having signed a contract with, for example, a new sponsor, then Manchester United would make a release to to the stock exchange when they announce their results. When they have a fresh issue of shares, it's always on the on the wrong the, the after side of the decision so they were, under normal circumstances we would have expected them to make some announcement to the new york stock exchange but what was intriguing was that the, the story broke clearly at midnight european time or 11 11 p.m um local time for us and what we saw um in the in the pre-markets in new york was a big bounce for the shares of Manchester United. The shares of Juve went up by 10 or 11%. And by the time we got to Monday night, and remember Monday night, and, and we still thought this was all going full steam ahead. Yeah, The value of Manchester United shares had increased by a quarter of a billion dollars. As soon as things started to reverse on the Tuesday, that quarter of a billion dollars was wiped off the market instantly. So... If somebody did have wind of this in advance, you could have a bit of insider dealing so you know manchester united actually have a, have an obligation to keep it really sealed because if people you know if one or two people were aware that this was going to go ahead, they could have bought the shares on the Friday night and then you know rid, ridden that particular wave and made a profit in in just a few hours on on the monday so so they they had to keep it quiet. Um, and I think that's part of the justification that the club will claim in respect of not telling the managers not telling the other employees and everything was so tight-lipped because they'll say well we've got an obligation to our shareholders and also market protocols and, and market conduct
2: Well you'd be a bit cross wouldn't you if you were Oleg on a and they said well we couldn't tell you in case you went and made a few bob on the stock market but yeah. That, uh, I mean, it was interesting because c- we spoke after the pod, Kieran, because we did talk at one stage of maybe recording an emergency pod that night, but decided that we should probably wait and see what happened first before. Because it, it would have been terrible if we'd done an emergency pod on, on Sunday to put out on Monday because <laughs> we would have been so far behind the curve. But th- the only moment I thought this would genuinely happen was when it was announced that Man United's stock market value had gone up by $250 million because then you think, well, they will suck up any abuse the fans take for as often for as long as they want if they're making that money that quickly. So it, it almost made their capitulation even more remarkable when well, it was quite clear how much was there to be made out of this, wasn't it?
1: Yes, and I think the that £250 million pounds was was also the market factoring at the time this is not 100% because some people were still saying that potentially this is a bargaining chip because for the last 20 to 30 years um these clubs and others have been trying to blackmail uefa into extracting more and more concessions and they've actually still won because they've got all of the they've got all the concessions they were looking for from uefa <coughs> in terms of greater involvement in broadcasting and commercial deals yep, yep. and the use of the UEFA coefficient yep. to award two of the additional places in the Champions League, which that these things tend to become self-fulfilling, that if you get into the Champions League once or twice, it makes such an impact to your coefficient that we could see the Premier League contributing six teams to the Champions League Practically every year, provided they finish, I think they'd have to finish in the top seven of the Premier League, but that they'll they'll automatically get in. And it could mean, of course, that you could have somebody finishing fifth, you know, West Ham or Leicester, and the sides below them do qualify. This is what Anjeli has been preaching about for years: that that clubs should be uh, should be contribute should be allowed to compete in the competition on the basis of their history rather than winning football
2: matches this season? Yeah. Um, quite a few things, Kieran, went under the radar. Uh, don't worry, Southampton fans, not your new kit deal. We spotted that. Um, but Florentino Perez at Real Madrid, for example, suggesting that matches in the Super League will only be 70 minutes long because young people's attention spans are shorter now. But the one for me that stands out as not really being covered at all is the fact that women's teams were included in this without any consultation at all, which was shameful, and Nadine Kessler, who's the the uh, UEFA boss of women's football, said that an ESL for women will devastate the game. How could they possibly drag the women into this at a time, Kieran, especially in England when we've we've talked so optimistically about the new broadcasting deal, and and not only that, the Liverpool women have just been relegated. It's just it just beggars belief the arrogance here, doesn't it? Well, I think this.
1: I think they'd written the press release. They'd, they'd done all their plan. Th- there was no plans for a women's European Super League, right?
2: And right. then they looked at it,
1: and then they said, "Hold on, uh, we've got women's teams as well. Let's let's just stick in an extra line, and we'll sort it out in two or three years' time, as we get closer to the launch of the competition." So th- th- there was no serious consideration. There were no budgets. There were no calculations. It was. This is going to look really silly if we've got Manchester United and Barcelona and Juventus's men's team playing in their own little competition, and you've got the Manchester United women's team playing in a UEFA-sanctioned competition. It, it that they, they couldn't yeah, that just looks so crazy. But they said, "Oh no, we're, we're just we just lobbed the women in as well." And and the thing which I found sort of fascinating on Monday. In, in respect of the people that were making these decisions, that none of them were prepared to come and talk on television. Mm, and that's mm. why they, they, I think their complete contempt for the club manager, in the sense that Salkshar and Klopp and Guardiola were effectively thrown under the bus. Mm. They had to go and face the press. And you could see in the, you could see the annoyance because there was no consultation um, in terms of, yeah, you know, had the managers been briefed? Were they given? You know, they cleared that they, they weren't given any advance warning, um, and they weren't told any of the advantages. And financially, there are advantages to those twelve clubs. There's financial disadvantages for practically everybody else. But um, it, it was it was sort of heartening, and I think that's when the 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 ball started to to roll against the the franchise uh, as we heard Klopp's comments, and then James Milner came out, and then Jordan Henderson, and um, you've, you know, G- Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, you know, everybody who who loves football was and who, who's got a Skype subscription was watching Monday night when they just let rip. And you know, you know Gary Neville's a United fan, but he, by his own admission, he'd kept his gob shut during yeah. the yeah. the initial years of the Glazer reign, and now he says know yeah, they've they, they fooled me they've they they they've, they've, they've made a mug of me and uh you know I as you know I teach at the University of Liverpool I had my mates who I share an office with saying I hate to say this but God bless Gary Neville and it he I think he I think he he sort of galvanised fans who sort of said, "Well, you know, we we actually agree entirely with what he said." Mm-hmm. That that sort of manifested itself in the protests at Stamford Bridge. Abramovich was was wavering, and as soon as he saw three thousand angry men outside Stamford Bridge, he was thinking, "Why am I doing this? You know, I'm, I'm not. I, I didn't buy Chelsea Football Club to get this type of abuse. Given that I've all done for the club." And I'm and I'm I'm not particularly asked about the competition. How how can I win back favour? And and yeah, you know, again, benevolent dictator, he can make that decision in thirty seconds flat. The word goes out and you know, then we're on a roll.
2: Mm. See, Roman Abramovich doesn't go back as far as we do, Kieran, so he won't be used to seeing three thousand angry men outside Stanford <laughs> in the way that we are. Um it's almost like we're simpatico tonight, Kieran. Our, our married life is back on track because we're thinking along the same lines. Because t- talking of, of television and, and Gary Neville, I was very impressed by him last night on a Zoom call when he was in front of a a picture of Che Guevara, um, which was which is clearly his his state. I, I, thought, that, I thought it
1: was I thought it was Jimi Hendrix.
2: No, it's, Hendrix was on one side and Che Guevara on the other. I believe. Oh my I,
1: right, I I. I I've, And then he had those strange words. I I thought he was in a crack den. I thought, oh, God,
2: blimey, Lordy, Lordy. It was a Banksy he was hiding. hiding. Oh, right, oh, right. Probably a real one, knowing Gary Neville. Yes. (laughs) But also, I mean, Jamie Carragut's was enormous credit. Basically, at one stage on Monday night, said to the Sky presenter, well, you know, you can wipe the smile off his face because you started it. It's this you, know, it's you that broke football for the Premier League. So let's not get too above ourselves, which is good. But I, I've been very proud, I have to say, as a Palace fan of, of Steve Parrish, um, chairman of Crystal Palace. Now, and I, and I don't know whether he's a self-appointed spokesman for the other 14 clubs or whether they're, they've asked him to do so. But, I mean, he's been everywhere. Basically, he's been the Kieran Maguire of club chairman. Essentially, you can't turn the telly on without him uh, popping up, but also not plugging his own book shamelessly in the background. Kieran, but he he referred to um, what he said, this abhorrent plan. He was very good when Emily Maitlis on Newsnight said to him, well, you would be against it if your club was in the top six. You'd be all for it. And he said, no, I wouldn't. If there's every chance that Palace could be in League Two um, in three seasons' time, and I would have to suck it up because that's what football's about. But he asked, he asked a question, Kieran, which is rhetorical, but I want you to tell me whether there's an answer to it. And basically he said, how much more, and I'm quoting, how much more money do these clubs want or need? Is, is there an answer to that question?
1: Um, in terms of want, it, it's limitless. At present, I, I, I did the sums. The average revenue of, let, let's call them the big six, uh, the greedy six. Um, the average revenue of one of those clubs in the Premier League is £500 million pounds a year, exactly. And the average revenue of the other 14 is £154. So, so they have three times the revenue um, of uh, the, the, the the other teams. But when you break it down... Um, In terms of commercial income, they've actually got 80% of the total commercial income split between six teams. And in terms of the TV income, it worked out as about 45. John Henry and Joel Glazer genuinely believe that they are the victims in all of this because they are only getting an extra 100 million pounds a year from TV money and 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 in their minds the only reason why people tune in to watch television in terms of football is to watch their teams now that is not the case there is no doubt that they generate the biggest audiences and on the back of that they do get an extra you know they would get an extra 150 million pounds a year compared to the clubs such as bournemouth and watford and burnley and they say well an extra 150 million pounds isn't enough because they have come into football late they they don't recall that if you take a look at the premier league in its very first season 1992 93 yes manchester united won it but then if you if you take a look at the positions of Arsenal and Spurs and City and Liverpool, they were all mid-table. Yeah, there wasn't a big six mm, because mm. I think the, the runners-up were, were were Villa and Blackburn potentially were third that Mid season. Third. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. quite yeah. remember. Um, so so the, this concept of the big six has only really been around in the last seven or eight years, but somehow it's become embedded into our psyche that they've always been the big six clubs. So, yeah, But, you know, big six clubs normally have to win something, so, so that instantly
2: rules out Spurs. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. Um, it, it was interesting Graham Sooners and Jamie Carragher both insisting last night that uh, John Henry had damaged the reputation of the Liverpool Football Club to such an extent that the only way out of it for him was to sell it. That seems unlikely. Um, no, the...
1: Um John Henry has damaged the reputation of John Henry. Right. But he won't care. Oh, right.
2: Uh
1: because if you are a uh, if you are a very successful commodities trader, and that's what you are, you you're used to a fairly tough environment. And also he's living in Boston, so he's he's not actually feeling the right. uh degree of hostility. John Henry is a remarkably intelligent analytical individual and you know you know why and and people if you're in a room with him people will say yeah he's not a great conversationalist but you start talking business and blimey O'Reilly this guy is is really really smart and and you know that's why his young and very attractive wife decided to marry the 71 year old billionaire (laughs) billionaire commodities trader it wasn't for his ability
2: to remember the lyrics of You'll Never Walk Alone. So, are you, are you implying, Kieran, that she was attracted to the fact he knows his way around a spreadsheet? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Why, why do women fall for me? You know, I, I, I whip out my spreadsheet in a Moscow nightclub, Kevin, and
2: it, it, it's like honeys round a pot. <laughs> <laughs> it's clear though, don't they? I've got my hay fever started. So don't even know. <laughs> um, it's clear though that United are, are very worried about build, rebuilding bridges. I mean, the, the statement this evening from Joel Glazer, the open letter which went on for for quite some time, was almost more abject than Arsenal's apology. So clearly the, somebody's whispered in their ear that they may have done some damage to the brand. But we, I'm, I'm aware that time's getting on, Kieran, and we've got that brilliant interview with with Matt Slater to talk about. So there are one or two things I still want to talk to you about. We do have a couple of other news stories, oddly enough, which um, I think we will rattle through. <laughs> yes, uh, because the, I, I've not researched them. Nor, nor have I. I've only just written them down, to be perfectly honest, um, as I thought Guy was joking when he said we had to talk about them. Uh, Genuinely thought he was joking when we thought I had to talk about them. Um, the Premier League were very swift, very swift. I mean, it was within an hour on Sunday to issue a statement in response to this, Kieran, and it mentions just about every group in in football, uh, LMA, FSA, PFA. You're a big fan of Line of Duty, Kieran, so I know you love an acronym. <laughs> um, but the EFL were not included, which led to quite the speculation and conspiracy theories. Uh, any, any thoughts on that, Kieran? Because, bi- I mean, the biggest conspiracy theory was that um, Rick Parry was only too willing and welcome to offer the big six a place in the championship if anything went tits up
1: well um this this came out on the basis of when project big picture was around and and if you remember um, Rick Parry was, again, he, the, the, the clubs themselves just ducked and dived and they, and they threw Rick Parry under the bus. So he had to go you know, onto BBC TV and he was saying, Liverpool and Manchester United are great clubs and they care about the whole pyramid of football. And this is fantastic news. So you know, he, he's he been, he's been made to look daft by, by these people because clearly they were, they were plotting this, this project without his knowledge at the time. Um And one of the stories which was doing the rounds in the press at the time was that because he was in favour of Project Big Picture, if the other 14 clubs had kicked the Big Six out or forced them to resign, then the EFL was willing to accommodate them because the EFL needed money. And all of a sudden, you've got a championship which features... Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United and Derby, Sheffield, Wednesday, Forest, um, so on and so forth. So, you know, probably out of necessity, uh, even if it was just going to be for one season, then you could see the benefits to the EFL. And um could the same thing apply here? The EFL didn't put out a statement until four PM on the Monday, mm. which, you know, it was a they were a bit bit slow to, to to react. Now they might have said, well, yeah, you know, this this isn't our fight. We're not getting involved. Um or yeah, you know, we, we don't know what had been happening. And the, the one thing we know about the internet is is the internet loves a vacuum. So mm. given that the story had been doing the rounds in the newspapers six months previously about the EFL being willing to accommodate these clubs then you can see why people thought, well, it it might happen again.
2: Yeah, it wasn't a good look for the EFL that Boris Johnson was more outspoken on the subject than they were for a good 12 hours. But um, just a couple more things, Kieran. Jonathan Barnett, super agent, um, Gareth Bale being one of his clients, said that he would take any attempt by FIFA or UEFA to sanction players, i.e. to stop them playing for their countries to the highest court in the land. Um, presumably, I mean, obviously that won't happen, but the legal profession, I imagine, are going to be making a lot of money out of this for quite some time to come, aren't they?
1: Well, yes. I mean, I think there, there will be consequences. Um, Jonathan Barnett is, has got a responsibility to protect his players' interests. Um, I think he he might have struggled a little bit because, remember, we have seen the England rugby uh, rugby Union team say that if players decide to play their domestic game in France, where there is yeah. not a wage cap, then you know, by all means go off. So, um, but by the way, don't expect to be chosen uh, to play for the England team, and, and you know on the basis of that, you make your decisions. And you know, by all means, that um, we, we hear that that Harry Maguire confronted Ed Woodward on on Monday. With regards to exactly this issue, you've gone and joined this. uh, You've joined this organisation without getting any guarantees that I can maintain my England career. And playing for England is the highest honour in the country, as as far as a footballer is concerned. And yes, Harry Maguire earns a lot of money from Manchester United, but. What would he want more than anything else? A World Cup winner's medal? The same goes for Harry, Harry Kane. The same goes for Marcus Rashford. When you are seven years old and you're running around in your shorts in, in the school playing ground, what what are you dreaming of doing? It's not scoring the goal that wins the Franchise Cup
2: in yeah. 2023. I, I actually, to be honest, Kieran, I found it quite refreshing and quite uplifting that... Football players, these highly paid, greedy bastards, Premier League football players that we're told so much about from across the globe were, were furious at the idea that they may not be able to play for their countries because it it, it ends that cliche now that players don't, it's not important to them because it, clearly it still is. Um, talking of, and that's I was, I'm, I'm going to go through it, Kira, because people will wonder why. I said, talking of it and stopped. It's because I have no confidence in this next link, which I'm improvising. Talking of <laughs> talking of countries, Kieran. <laughs> um, given the German ownership model, it's it's perhaps not surprising that Bayern and Dortmund refused to join. But I would have expected PSG to be involved. Well, let's let's
1: let's let's do a crumb trail. Who owns PSG? It's QSI, the Qatari Investment Authority. What's happening in Qatar in 2022? Ah, There's a World Cup ah, taking place. ah, There's a World Cup that is taking place, which has a tainted reputation. So here's an opportunity for PSG to come out of this and therefore indirectly Qatar to come out of this smelling of roses. We stood up to the Dirty Dozen, yeah, because yeah, yeah. we like the idea of the integrity of football. And um, and also, of course, they don't need the money because they've got the backing of a sovereign wealth fund. So Qatar is, is desperate to um, generate more positive vibes um, by hosting the 2022 World Cup. We know that the awarding of the tournament was due to unusual events in <laughs> exactly the same way that uh, arose uh, in respect of Russia and you know ha- what was the perception of the the world cup in Russia it was a success why was mm-hmm. it a success as far as we're concerned england got to the semi final so you know cat uh, the qatari uh, decision makers will have said well you know we we can we can avoid getting a double whammy of criticism by simply not agreeing to turn up in this tournament because we know where the the weight of public opinion will be Mm. I think nobody quite expected such a universal reaction uh, in terms of cross-party politics okay some of that could be on the back of populism Um, players managers ex-players pundits um, you know even in my profession I've only got one or two academics sort of Saying, well, actually, it could be a good idea, um but you know, it, it's ninety nine percent of people. Uh, but it, it's, yeah, you know, I think youGov did a survey, and they said only eighty percent of fans yeah. of the of the Big Six clubs were against the competition. I'm going, well, I'm if I know the other twenty percent are yeah. who are in favour of it because they're not in this country, that's for sure. But but then, hold on, if if you're if you're a Chinese Manchester United fan who fancies you know how how they're going to re- engage with the club. It's going to be through watching the club on TV. And if now every season they are going to be playing Barcelona, Real Madrid, yeah, you but know, in in an ideal world from their point of view, Bayern Munich and and Liverpool, um, you'd think that's rather splendid because who are these Burnley people? You know, West Bromwich, yeah, Albion. Yeah. You know, it, it, so from a, you know, we we look at it through the lens of growing up, falling in love with, Yeah, you know, we've always said, we're we, growing up, falling in football, falling in love with football at the age of seven or eight because we went along with a friend and uncle and auntie, uh, your mum, your dad, doesn't matter who is. And we've always said the floodlights, the smell of the burgers, mm-hmm. the green of the grass, the yeah. chanting, and that's it, you are hooked. Well, that's not the case for these fans. You know, they've done it because... They've got FIFA 21... And Manchester United are a really good team on FIFA, so therefore they support yeah. Manchester United. And Manchester United have opened three three virtual reality experiences in China, so yeah. um, you know it, it's it's an appeal to them. So you, you you can see why the international fan base are going. Well, we know all the fuss is about it.
2: Mm. Uh, one more question for you, Kieran, uh, and it's it still won't be the end of it. Obviously, where does this leave the Champions League? Do we? You know, will they just simply? accept the new model that was put through on Monday and it will carry on as it always did, but with the the coefficient and the more money for the the bigger clubs?
1: Yes. I I think that the bigger clubs have probably got 80 to 85% of what they wanted in terms of additional concessions from UEFA. Um, And the the franchise league gave them 100% of what they wanted and... If if you're a blackmailer at some point in time, and and yeah, this this has always been a blackmail option. You you actually go the full hog, and and that's what they decided to do, potentially for the reasons which I've mentioned above. That selling your own rights and financial necessity for the for the Spanish clubs decided to
2: you know resulted in them so going all in. Yeah, it, that's something that Matt Slater covers in his interview very well. That that potential magic trick that may have been pulled on us by the, the those 12 clubs. But before we get to that interview, Kieran, um, guess what? There are some other news stories. So, uh, dear listener, consider this a brief, refreshing sorbet before we dive back into the world of the Super League. Um, firstly, Kieran, Birmingham City's latest accounts had some interesting numbers.
1: Yeah, Bur- Birmingham City's finances are a mess. We know that the club has recently sold the stadium or rather the owners of the stadium have sold the stadium to somebody else and this is all going through um you know offshore companies uh why did they why did Birmingham sell the stadium in 2019 to begin with it's because they were in danger of breaching financial fair play because that year they lost nearly 30 million quid and the sale of the stadium reduced those losses what have they done in 2020? Well, they've nearly lost another 30 million quid, so you know it, it's it's a slight reduction, um, and you can certainly see why they ended up selling Jude Bellingham. Um, mm. You know clearly that they 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 managed to unearth a fantastic talent, um, but looking at these numbers, that they didn't have a choice in the matter um, because that you know, they lost. You know, 20, 20, £28.8 million pounds on a day-to-day basis, um, and, and they, they managed to sell him uh, shortly after the year end to try to shore up the finances. But they, they do look uh, a bit of a mess of a club because um, it, it's one thing to lose £30 million quid when you're chasing promotion, but £30 million quid when you're trying to fight off relegation to yeah. League One uh, that doesn't yeah that that's an awful lot of money clearly not
2: being spent wisely uh by the club Ipswich Town have repaid a number of outstanding loans
1: yes um the the new owners of Ipswich Town, who are called Game Changer 20, and I think we're going to try and get them on the show because uh, it'll be interesting to get their perception because this is, uh, as we know, the, uh, the the Arizona State Pension Fund are involved in this one. Yes,
2: um, they're, they're booked. I, I believe they're booked. On the, they're booked? On, yes. Ah. I, I, I As a matter of principle, I read one out of every three emails that producer go. guy. Sense and the one I happen to catch uh, clearly implies that they are indeed booked because, of course, he's taking all the credit for it. When although I believe it was you who made the phone call, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I- Ipswich had a lot of
1: debt, uh, which was due to the former owner Marcus Evans. And what the new guys appear to have come in and done is that they've put in around about 18 or 19 million pounds in cash. I suspect that that money will be used to pay back Marcus Evans some of his loans. And the stories that are coming out is that he's going to you know, they're going to pay him about twenty million pounds of his loans, and the other seventy or eighty, he's just going to walk away into the sunset and say, "Well, it was an exciting adventure while it while it lasted." He still retains five percent of Ipswich Town. Um, you know, I think he's hoping at one point in time. That they will return to the Premier League, and I'm sure Game Changer 20, and of course, all Ipswich fans, fan Ipswich Town fans, will hope that as well, because we have a system of
2: promotion and relegation in this <laughs> country,
1: which gives you hope, unlike a certain other competition.
2: That, that retaining the five percent, Kieran, is is that a kind of token way of staying in touch with the club, or is that a genuine hope that he may will make money on that five percent? He'll get a return on his dividend.
1: Yes, I, I, th- I think it's sort of a it, it, it's a, it, it's a bit like putting a bet on the national on a, on a thirty-three to one. Oh, okay. um, you, you're, not, you're not expecting it, but oh. you know, it's not it's not going to cost you a lot of money. And let, let's you know you, you, you like you, you like the name of the horse, or you like the silks, or or you know or, or your, your, your your granddaughter ticked
2: it off on a list. Yeah, and Rangers have issued a bundle of new shares. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action.
1: My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer.
2: You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football.
1: or you're an aspiring musician, manager, or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yes, um, r- Rangers have been making share issues on a regular basis over the last 12 months and trying to get the, the exact details has been uh, a bit confusing. Um, Rangers, you know, you know, they're champions of uh, the SPFL and deservedly so because yeah. they, paid the, they played the best football and, you know, that's that's something which is good. You know, it's nice to see rewards for clubs that actually play the best football as opposed to an invitation-only tournament. Yeah. Um, but um, the, the club uh, is losing money and therefore it does need financial assistance looking at the uh, so on effectively on you know every sort of 6 to 8 weeks we're seeing more shares being issued sometimes it's the existing lenders who tend to be rangers fans saying you owe us a load of money tell you what don't repay us give us shares instead so, so but this this most recent one um i think this is uh, it's club 1872 who are a fan group who are trying to buy 25 percent of the club from the the former uh, the former chairman Dave King, and they're going through various uh, fundraising routines and trying to get fans to commit to pay a you know a monthly amount, and they can use this to buy more and more shares. Um, you know, I, I just welcome them. You know, I wish them all the best in this. Um, it's it's a lot of money they've got to raise, but they do seem very committed. They do seem very organised. Whether they'll achieve it or not, you know, time will only tell. And if it takes them a little bit longer than they originally anticipated, I, I, I fervently hope that Dave King does the right thing and says, "I'll give you a bit more time, lads." Mm.
2: Do you know what, Kieran? I never went on a Club Eighteen Thirty holiday, but I'm reached the age where I would consider a Club Eighteen Seventy Two.
1: Oh, Wayne Rooney likes
2: those as well. He does. I've <laughs> done it again. you made me laugh with my hay fever. Uh, and, and, uh, and yeah, yes, I do get hay fever at night, everybody. The pollen falls off the trees at night. And da, 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 Southampton have signed a new kit deal with Hummel. Yeah, well, um, th-
1: th- this looks really good. Um, be- I can recall, I'm sure you can, uh, some of the the Hummel kits yeah. from yesteryear, and because they signed a new kit deal with them, they're bringing out some of the um, the the old kits, or as uh, as as uh, as Perez would say of Real Madrid legacy kits, because <laughs> the one thing which really hacked me off, and if if you want proof that the people in charge of this project have no concept of football to refer to anybody that's been watching football for 10, 20, 30, 40, or in our case, 50 plus years um, as legacy fans Mm. um, and that football should be focusing on new fans is one way to completely alienate any sliver. And and we are talking slivers of thinking – well, yeah, perhaps these guys do have a point and, you know, there are some benefits yeah, yeah, yeah. to these tournaments. No, no, we are we are the people that they want to eliminate from the game because they want to replace us who turn up to the ground at five to three and leave straight afterwards and don't buy anything in the, the merchandise stalls week in, week out and don't buy the food at those grounds where the food's appalling because we know which grounds are. Uh, They want to replace us with tourists and day-trippers because they're more lucrative.
2: Yeah, Uh, and the thing is as well that he's managed to alienate the young fans as well that he's trying to attract by saying that their attention spans are too short for 90 minutes of football. Um, Kieran, The Athletic has quickly established itself in the UK as a place for serious, reliable football reporting and some funny stuff too. Uh, And we asked one of their top journalists to join us for a chat about what? I don't know. Uh, Matt thank you so much for joining us I'm I'm not going to lie Matt I genuinely can't remember what we were going to talk about before this all kicked off um if you were here to promote a new charity I can only apologize um or south End again I can only apologize I know you're, we're,
0: we're a charity south ends charity I,
2: I, I, a, a friend a friend of mine is a very hangdog actor he's a south end fan and, and he's not acting the hangdog now he's just his face just gets longer and longer. He looks yeah. like Dro- he looks like Droopy off the cartoons at the moment. Um, Matt, the Athletic is one of the world's most renowned sources of football news and journalism. When did you first become aware the European Super League was going to happen, and it was going to happen now?
0: Oh well, there's there's a lot in that question to unpack. That's very nice of you to say that about the Athletic. Um, You're welcome. They sponsor right, my Palace yeah. pod, so no, I, feel like, I feel right. I have to. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all on the, all on the pay. Um, um, when did I think it would happen? Well, did did it happen, Kevin? Well, did
2: did, we, did, well, it, let's, did it happen? Have I, let's, have I, let's let's make it more simple then, Matt. Were, were you expecting that announcement before it happened this weekend?
0: Right. I'll be honest. So, yes and no, and, and 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 here's and here's why. I I was aware of a lot of what was announced on Sunday a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, and I was aware of nearly everything about a week before right but hands up time um, i didn't believe it oh or i didn't believe that they would do it and the reason i didn't believe they would do it is because i thought this was another version of the same story for the last 30 odd years right that this is the big scary weapon your the, the nuclear option that you that you you have there, it's over there, but you never use it. My God, don't use it. Don't press that button. Get look, you know, make them think you might press it, but don't do that. Because you know what? Every time we threaten to use that weapon, good stuff happens. Yeah. And it's worked again and again and again. And you you just gotta kind of look like you mean it. Obviously, you know, don't go through it half-hearted, lads, all right? But but make make a website, yeah, hire a PR firm. Let them know that we've got an office to a mail bank. Um, Attend meetings and then maybe sort of go, "Mm, we'll come back to you tomorrow. You know, look look credible, chaps. But I didn't think they'd do it. And I actually went on holiday last week and I sort of wrote a briefing note to my team saying, look, the the last chance for this, for them to play this card is in the Sunday papers. Just, Just keep your eyes, you know, eyes on the ball, but don't go mad. It's all going to be fine. They're going to, they've already got the Swiss model, which I'm sure we'll discuss uh, a bit more. I mean, you've probably already done 18 gags on the Swiss model already. Yep. Um, so, yep. um, you know, the, the real news will happen next week when it's all kind of way through and we can have a great big debate about the coefficient backdoor and, <laughs> um, and yeah. um, you know, 180-odd games to eliminate 12 teams and all that, all that wonderful stuff. And this joint venture and giving them a bigger say on the commercial rights and getting into all of that. Right, because because they're not going to do the Super League.
2: Yeah,
0: and then they did it. <laughs> yeah.
2: do you, do you, I'm, I'm kind of glad you said that because you've, you've answered one of my other questions already, which was, you know, did you think it was a giant negotiation tool? Then, of course, I realised that Kieran yeah, once I referred, did. Kieran once referred to Ed Woodward as a giant negotiation tool. <laughs> um, Very good. When did you, when did you first become aware then that it was going to collapse? And can you narrow that down to the hour? Uh, all right. Um, Good. When, there,
0: when it would, it, it was around yesterday afternoon. So what we would, so, it, so we're talking at uh, sort of coming up to lunchtime on Wednesday. Um, so so much has happened in the last forty-eight hours. I have to sort of unscramble my brain a bit. I I I had so on Monday, as we were kind of oh my god, they actually did it, and then loads of conversations with people, administrators, club execs. Bloody hell, they did it right? Yeah. Did they do it on purpose? Have we all massively misread it? Did they do it by accident? Is it like some sort of cold war drama yeah. where, Oh my lo- we've, we've, we've pressed the button. It's all <laughs> over. Um, you know, or, or have we all been massively played or is this, are these guys like playing 3d chess and, you know, we're just not clever enough to work out what they're doing. You know, is this the, is this the NFL? Have we just completely misunderstood? Have we let these Americans in? And have they just been attending our meetings and talking about promotion relegation and the pyramid whilst they they built the NFL quietly in the background? You know, no one knew, right? But the more we talked and the more I listened, it became clear there were massive holes, massive problems in the Super League business model. The borrowed money from JP Morgan, the lack of a broadcast partner, the fact that they had uh, uh, only three countries in there, only seven cities um they didn't really explain the mechanism for it not to be a closed shop if it was going to be a closed shop they wouldn't get fee for approval if they didn't have fee for approval they were basically playing illegal games the police wouldn't turn up the governments around the country not just ours were saying we might legislate it just the 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 holes in the problem the holes in the plan story just became more apparent you were thinking well, they've got the sort of PR half right in that they coordinated their statement and they've got a website. But where's, where's the day two plan? Where are, the, where are the front men of this going? Yep, yeah, we're going to take you on in the courts. Yep, yeah, sorry, fans, don't worry about it. We're thinking of you. Trust me, it's going to be amazing. Come with us. Um, here's, our, here's our broadcast partner. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be the Netflix of football. Where was all this? And the longer it went on, along went it into Tuesday and I started to see UEFA aren't going to back down. They've, they've just gone ahead and announced their Champions League reforms. They've done the deal with the 240 clubs that have been left behind in the European Club Association. You know, the rest of the leading clubs in Europe and the Premier League, the 14, have are up for the fight. They're not going. Oh no, no. What do you? What do you want? Come back. We, we, we can't live without you. They're like sod you we're gonna well well you know we'll we'll bring a couple good teams up from the championship we might even invite the old firm down doesn't matter to be discussed we're not going to cave in now more and more i started to think they've 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 got this wrong they've got this wrong and then there was this the, the big narrative yesterday was that some of the english clubs and it was quite interesting to hear Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, in his Congress specifically, in his speech to Congress, specifically talk about English clubs. Come on, gentlemen, we all make mistakes. Yeah. Da, 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 da. They knew there were waverers. the last ones in, City, Chelsea in particular. And, and the behind the scenes lobbying of City and Chelsea was, was just aggressive yesterday. Yeah. So by the evening, late afternoon, evening, it was just I was just thinking who's first, you know. And I, I thought it'd be City, ended up being Chelsea. Although they're arguing about it now, uh, <laughs> it's a, in typical football fashion. And uh, and then I was quite surprised actually how quickly. I mean, you know, I thought it might take the rest of this week, but my word, you know, here we are. Well, it's thirteen, fourteen hours later, and there's only what three or four of them left. None of the English clubs are there. So, so the the, the speed of the unraveling surprise me, but by yesterday afternoon I knew I knew that, that
2: one or two of them were going. Matt, they've not only unravelled quickly, they've unravelled abjectly. I mean, oh, Tottenham, yeah. Tottenham, Tottenham and Arsenal's apologies were almost risible, but were they... What well, I don't understand about this, Matt, I mean, essentially this was a replacement for the Champions League. They're talking about a European Super League to take place at the same time as a domestic league. Do you think they were unprepared for the level of domestic opposition to what is essentially a new European league. Yes, <laughs> right.
0: absolutely unprepared. And that then we can get into the whole conversations about their arrogance, how detached they are, the fact that they're absent, that they could misread the room that badly. Yeah, yeah. But but look, the European Super League, by the way, you notice they didn't call it European. It was Super League, That's right? Super League, yeah, yeah. This was meant to be franchised. This was going to be a series of super leagues, regional super leagues that all fed into uh, a FIFA, uh, a FIFA-approved club world cup, right? This was going to be a hundred leading teams around the globe, okay, all feeding in. This, this was this was the brave new world, right? The MLS on a on a global scale. So, um, no, it did not. They 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 wanted the the point was that they weren't a breakaway and they weren't closed. Yeah. So that was why they had to have those five in there. And that not breaking away was we're not breaking away from our domestic leagues. We're still part of our our pyramid, if you like. We are only just choosing not to go into UEFA's Champions League. Now, when it became clear to me and others that the Premier League were like, no, you cannot play in a European Super League and play in the Premier League for umpteen reasons. And the main reasons are because you are just destroying our business model. What, 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 when we go to the market to broadcasters and sponsors, we are selling that we are the, the, this merit, this, this sort of any given Sunday idea you often hear in the States, yeah. that the, the, the Europe is a, is a prize that you earn, the race for European places, you know, we have jeopardy in our league at the bottom, you'll get relegated. You know, if you're if you're a, a Leicester, or an Everton, or West Ham, you could you could reach Europe. You know, it's not given to Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool that you will you know qualify for this 100 million euro prize every year. That is what make that's what brings the drama. That's what has added to the value of these undisputably big, successful, powerful brands. But some of that, I would argue, a lot of that allure has come. From the competitions they're in yeah. so you 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 know you go off and go to a closed league well you're damaging us you are hurting us when we go to the when we go to broadcasters this summer and say, yeah can we have three billion pounds again no you can't because none only of you just you know you've just seen your six teams go off over there are they going to play B teams in your league yeah you've they, you've certainly killed the race for 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 Europe so that, I think, was their biggest tactical mistake, their biggest error, that they didn't seem to properly think through that they could carry on playing at home.
2: Yeah. Now, are we, are we really to believe that Man City and Chelsea were reluctant partners in this, as they're implying? Hmm. I mean, the, these negotiations must have been happening for months, and they, they're, they're giving the impression that they kind of went along with it because they didn't want to be left behind. That's, that can't be so, surely.
0: All right. Well, I mean, I, I think that there are times when you when you do this job, where you almost just have to let people make up their own minds, right? Yeah. Okay, we're all adults here, most of us, I think. Anyway, um, and, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, all I can tell you is that that is the sort of the, the consistent briefing from their side, and it is kind of corroborated by by others, in that there were ringleaders here. Look, go back to school. Go back to school playground, right? There's some naughtiness over there, right? Something bad's happened. There are the weak that kind of get swept along that aren't brave enough to walk yeah. away because like, I might miss something or people will laugh at me if I walk away from this thing. There are the ringleaders. Look, when it all goes off and goes wrong, how do you separate and differentiate that? Do you know, Do you punish them all equally? I don't know. We'll, we will find out. But I think it is fair to say... Certainly City and I think Chelsea were the more reluctant. Oh, I don't know, Russell might be the wrong word. They they were they were sort of more passive.
2: Right.
0: Apparently, I'm led to believe that City had sort of attended these things, hadn't said anything, hadn't contributed, very much took the view that um we can't miss out. We have American and Chinese investors. If this amazing cool thing is gonna happen, we've got to be part of it, right? Um they haven't gotten a wonderful relationship with UEFA, as we know. Um you know, they sort of thought, well, look, we need to be part of this, I think. I think Chelsea, similar. Um, look, Abramovich calls the show, calls the, the tune there, everybody knows. I think he's semi-engaged. I think he loves the club. I don't think he was all over this, to be honest. I think it was sort of like, yeah, kind of tag along, go along to those meetings, keep me posted. Um, and this is where I come back to this, this idea that they press the button by accident, some of these yeah. guys. I think for Real Madrid who have been at the centre of every single one of these conspiracies for about the last decade, particularly Florentino Perez. It was very real, still is real. They have outgrown La Liga, they feel. they The briefing I'm hearing is that they feel that the big six, the Premier League and Qatar, have knifed the European Super League. They are, they are, you know, they're, they're not backing down. That, that's how they feel. They feel indignant about this.
2: Well, it's interesting you mentioned Perez, because he's the one who's been most defiant. And he's the one who actually came up with a public reason, which I'm still laughing at, to save football because young people were being driven away by low-quality games. And this bit went really under the radar. He also said that games in the Super League would probably be shorter oh. to keep to keep the attention of of young fans. I mean, that's, it, that, that's when you start laughing. That's when it becomes kind of Bond Supervillain stuff, totally out of the realms of reality, doesn't it?
0: Well, also this sense that, he's the one, he's kind of making it up as he goes along. Yeah. I, I, you know, have all these plans been properly discussed? In amongst all that, and the other kind of main guy here is Andrea Agnelli, uh, who owns Juventus and was, was previously um, a UEFA vice president and certainly on the Exco, and he, was, uh, he ran the European Club Association, this big, very important group of leading clubs. You know, the snake-in-chief... To be honest, <laughs> certainly in terms of uh, UEFA, you know, he was supposed to make a joint statement with UEFA's president on Saturday. He turned, he turned his phone off. <laughs> um, so, um, look, in amongst what he's saying there is, is the kind of thing they're saying amongst each other all the time, all yeah, of these clubs, yeah. right? What do we do about the game? You know, we have, we're CEOs. Could, they could be CEOs of any company, right? We have a responsibility to think about the future. That's where we get the big bucks. We've got to think strategically. So, you know, are kids watching 90 Minutes? No, my kids aren't. How are they consuming sport? on their phones, on their devices, on their games and all that, you know, how, how, how they have got into football is very different to how I got into football. Mm. Right. So we got, we got to be aware of that, right. Where, where's our growth? Where, you know, we're big companies now, we have these massive brands, but we're not valued uh, in the same way that North American sports franchises are valued or, 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 or fly by night tech stocks, you know, we, we, we've been around for a hundred odd years. Why aren't we given the love when we go to the market? Why don't, why don't the big banks treat us in the same way they treat, you know, Amazon, you know, not Amazon, but whatever the latest yeah. buzzy, buzzy thing is, right? So those are the things they worry about. So when he says off the top of his head, well, does it need to be 90 minutes? Well, you know, that's an interesting debate. Should we have that debate? Should we all have that debate? Should we think about how we maybe package and present football? You know, it's very interesting that the NFL recently has started to do things that are very sort of, they did some of their games on Nickelodeon.
2: Yeah. They,
0: they're doing, they so a rights holder would have the same game, but would have different streams giving different treatments. So one, for example, idea is you'd have a very kind of stats heavy, almost kind of like, um, you know, scout techie. The people that love kind of, you know, um, expected goals and all that you could do that kind of uh, treatment of a game but then you could also do a very betting gambling heavy one you could do one that's pitched at youngsters that's kind of like youtubers and there's all sorts of things you could do so these are all the conversations they're having all the time and that i think is what is underpinning some of this angst around where the game is going they're looking at the average age of subscribers they're looking at the average age of people in the grounds and they're thinking look we would be not we, we would be failing our responsibilities if we preside over the very very gradual decline of our sport. Mm. So that I'm that, that I'm slightly paying devil's advocate, and I kind of I have no problem with them doing that. But then look what they've actually done. Mm. They've done it. Well, they're, they're, well, their solution to that was to set up a closed shop. Which, which them,
2: yeah. yeah, I liked. Um, <laughs> I liked Barcelona dealing their own get out. Card this morning by saying, "Well, it was always subject to the approval of our season ticket holders anyway." But um, mm. domestically, Matt Ed Woodward, executive vice chair of Manchester United, was the first high-profile casualty. Now, Man United are spinning that he was due to leave anyway, but to use the technical term, that's bollocks, isn't it? He's gone. He's gone because of this, hasn't he?
0: Well, he's certainly gone because of this. Like now, I mean, I I, I have heard. Uh, they're certainly briefing heavily that he was going to go at some point. He was thinking about going in the summer. Right. Fine. Okay. But we will never know, shall we? Right. Because, because he certainly wasn't going to go last night with his tail between his legs and a big slap bum. You know, it, it, you know, it, it just, I, I wonder who's next and it, it can't just be him because just from a sort of human point of view, um, Let's just sort of have a little think about what's been going on for the last few weeks and months. Just first of all, in Europe. So as I say, there's been this very two-year, carefully choreographed, quite torturous at times, debate around how to change the Champions League. And I've got no problem with changing things and, and freshening things up and all that. And we, we can have an argument whether we like the Swiss model and how we think about those coefficient places. I don't like them either. But certainly I have no idea, I have no problem with formats being tweaked to keep them... You know, interesting. So that's been going for two years. These people have been in those meetings. They have nodded, agreed, you know, I and all that. um, As of right up until this weekend, they've been party. They've heard secrets, confidential, commercially sensitive stuff. At the same time, while plotting a rival organization that will, frankly shit all over the Champions League, right? That will steal broadcast money, eyeballs, commercial sponsors, the lot, right? At the same time. So they've sat in meetings, been given, you know, like, as I say, commercially sensitive information and said nothing. The same Mm -hmm. thing has been going on in the Premier League. So there's been this strategic review off the back of Project Big Picture. They've certainly been attending and listening to meetings about what we're going to do with our broadcast rights. You know, we're going to postpone the auction. We're going to do it this summer. they've They've sat there and they've they're, they're, these are these are the most important clubs, right? so they th- th- things haven't been kept from them and yet they've been riding these two horses. Now, there are I think there are genuine moves and uh and calls and they're growing that these guys have breached their responsibilities to these other organizations yeah they have very probably failed the owners and directors test quite frankly because you have a responsibility to behave in good faith there's a there's a legal phrase i know you like your legal legal talk uh tortuous interference it's basically it's basically dealing in bad faith yeah so they, I, I now think we have the executives of our six biggest clubs, who who have to be replaced. And then the then the the next step is, do those with significant control have to be replaced? Yeah. Do they have to sell sell? And I, I that I think you know is 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 perhaps to be to be discussed and to be we will see, but there is no way those guys. And it is mostly guys can go back into those rooms just from a human point of view, because they've just spent a couple of weeks, three months, whatever, two years lying to these people. But they have also very probably broken the rules of those competitions.
2: Yeah, I just I'm aware that this is already becoming the longest pod we've ever done, Matt. So <laughs> I don't want to get into too much detail, but watching Steve Parish on Newsnight uh, the other night and I've seen Steve Parrish cross before mainly about things I've said to him but I've never seen him as angry as I saw him the other night and he clearly implying that he was looking forward very much to the first time the Premier League chairman all met together in the same place again but (laughs) um, Jose Mourinho went as well Uh, is there any truth in this story that he was sacked because of his opposition to, to this
0: no I don't think so Right. I mean I've, I've heard the same rumor, and you know, as, as, as you and everybody else, I don't I don't really have any like great intel there. I find that hard to believe. I think uh, things were going uh, sufficiently wrong elsewhere for him to be sacked. Um, and you know, we've seen other managers, um, you know, pretty much voice make their make their feelings really clear: Jürgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola. So I don't I don't think um, saint um, Jose um, um, has has sort of. Full on his sword in a in a in a noble fashion.
2: Yeah, although he's not denying it, in true Jose style. Um Matt, these are not words I thought I'd ever use about Oliver Dowden, is the minister for sport and culture. Right. But he, he did all right, doesn't he? Why why do you think the government waded in so strongly? Do you think they just spotted voter potential amongst angry fans? Oh, I,
0: I I do, and and, and, I, and I'm aware that I, could, I there's a risk of sounding ludicrously cynical. I I just I just. Politicians and football—it's not great—the the the track record in terms of when they get interested, how long they 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 stay interested, and then what they actually do, as opposed to say. So, um, look, I think they saw a bandwagon. Uh, it was a righteous bandwagon, and they jumped on it and they took part and they said exactly what the rest of football needed them to say. And fair play, they said it. Uh, what was it that Boris Johnson was threatening to explode? A, a, a legislative bomb? Well, we we we'll we'll never we'll never have to know what that is, I hope. Well, it's but, very um, difficult
2: it's very difficult to predict what part of well, Boris Johnson would explode at <laughs> any given time, <laughs> yeah. to be perfectly honest.
0: Look, but look, they 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 didn't said what they did. It it did uh I think um have an impact. I think the idea that that this would that government would make this really, really hard. And there are, there were some potential levers that government could could pull. I just, just really simple ones that, that that I didn't even have a chance to write because there was so much going on. Just from a policing point of view, yeah. if these if these games weren't weren't sanctioned games, the police wouldn't turn up. Yeah. Simple as that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Matt, the final question: UEFA were quick, very quick, to threaten sanctions. Do you think there may still be consequences for the clubs concerned? Because as you tweeted this morning, hmm. out of the new or the new Champions League model, these clubs actually do quite well out of it, don't they? Oh well, look here we go.
0: It, it, this is where we get into that thing I was saying. Was this just 3D chess? Have we just been massively played? Yeah. Was this, was this the greatest magic trick of all time? Because let's just remember what they've got. They've got a 36-team Champions League. They've got extra games. Um, they're probably going to get this sort of joint venture or a, a more meaningful joint venture, which means a bigger say of the commercial rights. I'm pretty sure that UEFA have been negotiating with private equity firms to give them a great big cash injection that they want post-COVID. And they've got these coefficient places for, you know, your Liverpools and whoever that have become fifth, sixth or seventh, you know, another way back in. So that looks like a pretty sweet prize for such treachery, doesn't it? It does. And I and, and UEFA. The messaging from UEFA is that they are in no mood to um, make colossal examples of these people. The individuals, maybe I, I think we should be worried about Andrea Agnelli's whereabouts. I'd, 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 be, I'd, I'd be I'd be I'd be I'd be worried, frankly, because because Alexander Seferin is nails, um, Great. <laughs> black, black belt in karate. Uh, he, he's, he's you know he's an ex-soldier for his holidays. He has driven across the Sahara five times, once on a motorbike.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just worried. I'm just thinking back to with, with, uh, Kieran. Have you been criticising Alexander Seferin? Yeah, no, no, he, no, me, me, Big, big Betty, me. Good, um, Matt. It's been it's been brilliant to talk to you. It really has. We could talk for much longer. Um, before we go, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about?
0: No, well, I mean, I, I, we could do South End, but is there any point? Just, Is there any point to Southend United?
2: I'd, 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 I've got a, <laughs> I've got a soft spot for Southend. They're, they're one of the clubs I particularly like, apart from the fact that my dear friend Martin supports them. But I always remember one afternoon it was an away game in the League Cup uh, when we went. We were sitting outside a pub near the sea, and this Southampton fan, uh, Southend fan, came up and started chatting. And he made us laugh so much with with a terrible joke when he said, "You know how they call our ground roots all; they should call it fuck all," <laughs> yeah. which which we thought was hilarious. But then cut cut to me getting home that night about half past twelve, waking up my wife to tell her this brilliant joke that I would yeah. heard by this South yeah. But also during that during that game, and it's still one of my favourite moments in any football ground ever. It was packed; it was a League Cup game. And uh, just after half time, the PA announcer said, uh, Would you know, Terry Thomas from Croydon please uh, make his way back home because his wife has gone into Labour? And the whole ground burst into spontaneous applause. And as he stood up to leave, the whole ground spontaneously started to sing part-time supporter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, he, and he started gesticulating and he sat down again and you could see his two mates going, leave the ground. He's going, And he refused to leave because he didn't want to be called a part-time supporter. But so South Ender, a club I've always liked, and it, it, it pains me to see them in this situation because he's one of those owners. That you can't, Every now and again he'll say something and you think he's he's, he's all right, this bloke, and then the rest of the time you think, no, he's just mm. running this club into the ground, isn't he? And it's it's a club yes. that, well, <laughs> like, I mean, and again, because Essex football is struggling enough as it is. You You've got Southend and Colchester, Colchester taking on Redbridge in the, yeah, in the yeah. same in the same situation, and, and these these are areas that it's always astonishing. I mean, you can understand why, but these are areas where fans shouldn't be travelling from Essex to Tottenham. They should be. No. Yeah, you know, they've got Southend and Colchester. Clubs with big traditional histories on them. We weren't supposed to be talking about Southend, Matt. I'll let no, you go. <laughs> no, I'm,
0: you're making me cry. Sorry, no, mate. But, but for the record, South End left the league before Chelsea or City. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Matt, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Matt. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Matt. Kieran, that was – I mean, there was some really interesting insight there, Kieran, and we haven't – we haven't got time to unpick it all, but one thing I noticed there—it's quite near the end of Matt's conversation—is when he talked about UEFA taking out a private equity loan to distribute to the bigger clubs. Did I pick it up on that correctly? Yes, it looks as if uh, UEFA
1: are in talks, and and they're talking about effectively a a something like around about a six billion dollar rescue package because the it looks like some of the individual clubs are struggling to satisfy the uh the lenders and who are a bit cautious so um uefa is going to act as a a sort of a central hub and then distribute that money to to try to dig these clubs up so it's it's evidence that you know in politics and football you can be calling somebody a snake one day and you know, three or four hours later you're lending the money, UEFA is saying, actually, you know, we, we are going to look after as many clubs as we can in Europe, including these ones. Mm. Yes, we're not happy with what's happened recently, but ultimately we're all in the same game and let's move forward. Now, what the reaction and whether there'll be any uh, humility shown from Perez and Agnelli and people of that
2: nature, time will only tell. Yeah, these well there won't be, I I suspect. But it, I mean it's such a shame, Kieran. These these are clubs that you know, you talked about the romance of football earlier and why we supported football and when we supported football as kids. I mean these these were clubs that you wanted the Sabutio you wanted Juventus, you wanted Real Madrid. These are clubs that we grew up watching on telly, the great the great European nights, you know, Liverpool included, and it's just it's just such a shame to see them tarnishing their image in this tawdry chase for money. It's it's, it's it's not the clubs it's the owners so, yeah, and yeah, I, so, yeah, I, course, I cannot yeah, stress no, this no, that, enough yeah but because so, it was
1: the liverpool fans and the chelsea yeah, fans yeah. who yeah. didn't have to go out in the last couple of nights because yeah, they were going to be financially winning it's the fans who said no you do not reflect my love of chelsea my love of liverpool my love of manchester united get out of my club get out of my game in effect and you know gary neville expressed that far more articulately and far more passionately than i did but it was uh it it was great to be great to
2: listen to no you've 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 calmed me down now kieran you're like a parent with a toddler i'm fine now Uh, that's why this pod works so well kieran because i'm a lovable idiot and you're lovable and clever um 150 episodes Yes, I obviously I'm, I'm not going to pretend I knew that, Kieran. So, but I saw I saw your tweet, and um, which is how I often get my news about the pod. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's um, I, yes, I'm amazed as you said we we continue to be the sand in the vaseline, and and I, I can't stress enough how much I agree with you, Kieran. I've both of us gave it. Two weeks, essentially. Yes, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> that, That's all. why.
1: That's why I never told you I was a Brighton fan. I thought, why, why, why upset him? You know, know, because know. we'll we'll just walk away like, you know, like ships in the night.
2: Well, also, also I mean. Guy just seemed such an optimistic little puppy, didn't he? And he was. when <laughs> we, we first met in Soho, and he was all wide-eyed and innocent, and walking around going, "Oh, did the craze walk, walk round here?" And bless him, <laughs> not in that accent, of course. I don't know why we talk like Orville the Duck. Kieran, I'm 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 Super League out, so let's reconvene on on Monday for our questions pod. Uh, if you have any any questions at all on any aspect of the Super League or of football finance in general, then email us on questions at price of football com and as ever I shall leave you in the capable hands of Mr. Kieran Maguire to say goodbye on the occasion of our 150th episode. Well, thanks for taking us to this uh, th- this this landmark,
1: uh, listeners. Because uh, it's only with your support that we we keep on going. Because you keep us on our toes, and you know we appreciate your support. And you know we we do try to represent the views of fans. Um, and that's where our angle is from. I know this is a business podcast, but this is a business co- podcast by fans for fans. If you like the show, press that purple button on on the, your Apple app or your, your Spotify app. If you could give us a review, we'd be most grateful. Um, if you could make it five stars, it helps us in the charts. And uh, yeah, we are trying to get good quality desks all the time to give us a greater insight. I mean, Matt Slater uh I, i'm not saying he's the only reason i subscribe to the athletic but he's he is the certainly the number one uh his writing is is absolutely magnificent so to you know to to persuade people who are connected to the industry to come in because because they look at the charts and they say well, if we, if we were number 727 in, in 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 the football charts and they say Th- thanks lads but no thanks apart from that uh good luck God bless well done for Chelsea fans and Liverpool fans and Manchester United fans and all fans who have stood up to these people over the course of the last 48 hours
2: here here the for my son for football.